Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Listeners, Kev, today we want to talk about a big issue that so many marketers are facing, which is fighting for budget and proving your worth in the face of a down economy. We're going to talk you through the pains marketers like you are feeling at the moment, how the market should impact your strategic approach, and give you some concrete tips on how to navigate the pressure for budget cuts and how to spend your dollars more effectively. Kev, I think it's a pretty important topic today. Yeah, it sure is. Obviously, it's been a tough couple of years and it's just getting a little tougher, particularly this year, George, particularly for us marketers, but everyone around the world and in different industries. So it's a good time. As a lot of global economies slow, we can talk about what we can do as marketers in the space to adapt to that. And obviously, a lot of people are already doing a lot of the good work in there. And we just wanted to add our two cents into that and hopefully give some Concrete tips, as you said, George, maybe a few new ideas for people who are going through this tough time to hopefully improve what they're doing and to hopefully give them a leg up in this process as well. But George, first of all, it's good to see you again, mate. It's been a little while since we've recorded. I've been on holidays officially, and thank you for indulging me. And uh, yeah, F cut a stall for holding down the fort while I've been away, mate. <laughs> For the listeners who aren't aware, that was Kevin's almost pathetic attempt at Greek, saying a funny star, thanking me in Greek. Kevin has just been to my motherland. He's been to Greece. He's been learning how to Greek dance. He's been learning how to 
put on a few kilos, eating all of your yas, musaka, <laughs> dolmades, everything out there. And now, Kev, you've gone and stabbed me in the heart by moving to Turkey. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, I am now no longer in your motherland, George. I am in Istanbul and a beautiful city nonetheless. Interesting time to be here, but that's probably a story for another time. All right, Kev, let's get back to the things that our marketers really care about. Yes, they care about Greece and Turkey. They care about you and I. But I think more than anything, Kev, they care about their job in a down economy and what they need to do. So I think let's just set the scene a little bit for our marketers. Kev, as the economy slows, there's always a direct impact on business of all kinds. In particular, we, of course, pay attention to those in the B2B world. That's where we've chosen to double down on, Kev. That's the world that you and I really care about. Now, listeners, if you've been following the podcast, you're probably more than aware that we've said this quite a few times, but typically there's only about 3% of the market that is in the ready-to-buy-now mode meaning they're in purchase mode. And that's when times are good. For those who are listening, we've actually got a diagram up, which is going to be on YouTube, which is just showing the overall market and showing that there's 3% at any given time who are ready to buy right now. As budgets get cut and there's a bit of a slowdown, Kev, research shows that 3% of the market shrinks even further. It could be 1%, it could be one5 I'm not sure how far it's going to go, but really what it means is that there's an even smaller slice of the pie that you and your competitors are going to be going after if you're just targeting people who are ready to buy right now. Now, not only are you competing for a smaller slice of the market, but I know that you're facing pressures from your own business. So marketers that we've spoken to, they're facing cuts to headcount, to budget, And there's a really big need all of a sudden to justify every bit of ad spend and every marketing activity that you're doing when things start slowing down. Yeah, George, this is a fairly common trend that we see when things start to turn a little, when budgets are being cut. One of the first things to go is marketing. Can we cut down things like brand spend that isn't directly correlated to the bottom line in this measurement first world that we've been in? Often it's the brand budgets that go and that's quite dangerous, but it does actually present us with an opportunity when those kind of things happen. All right, listeners, in this episode, Kevin and I are going to first talk more about that opportunity and the unique opportunity that happens for marketers in a down market and how you as the marketer and the business can really take advantage of that. We're also going to talk about, look, how to trim the fat because there probably is going to be some form of cost cutting and we want to show you how to spend your dollars more effectively. And then finally, Kevin and I are going to give you a bit of an action plan on how to tackle the rest of your marketing so you can really focus on the 20% of activities that are driving 80% of the outcome so we can look to allocate our resources and budget more effectively. All right, Kev, let's start with opportunities. Well, George, the first one, as I was just alluding to there, was that there's a huge opportunity in a down market when all your competitors, all these other businesses are cutting budgets, they're cutting down how much they're spending, particularly on brand, which actually means it becomes cheaper in that space. And I actually just recently read an article that confirmed this. Someone did a study, uh, which I'll try and find it and we'll link in the show notes, but they did a recent study on meta CPCs. Meta CPCs have gone down something like 40, 45% in the last year, just from actually just from the start of this year to now. So you can see times are tough. A lot of businesses are cutting back and 
brand budgets are definitely not immune to that and probably one of the first things on the chopping block. And so that has translated to less competition, less people spending in those traditional media branding spaces. And that means it's actually cheaper for you to buy that space if you want to and to start building relationships. And as George and I talk about, it's a long game. We have to start building relationships before people are ready to buy, before they're in that 3%. Even more important now that there's less people in that 3%, it's now 1.5%, as George said, and it's the overall pie is bigger for you to start building relationships with. And Kev, look, you and I have been in this long enough to see that actually historically cost per click or just advertising costs in general tend to go up 15 to 30% a year. Normally it goes the other way. It's just going up again as companies increase their budgets when times are good, competition increases for the same keywords, for the same set of eyeballs and costs normally go up. So the fact that Meta's costs, and I'm sure in some industries, the same is true for Google Ads, their costs are coming down. That shows that advertisers are pulling back budgets. And what you referred to, Kev, is lining up with that theory that marketers and companies can use economic slowdowns to really try and build market share. So there's research to support this theory, and it's reasonably simple to understand. But basically, when there's an economic slowdown, marketing budgets often get slashed. And that means that there's less businesses competing for eyeballs on paid media platforms like Facebook, LinkedIn, Google Ads, etc., as we've just discussed. Kev, you've already told us that less competition means it's cheaper to reach these people on these platforms, meaning your cost per click, your cost per thousand people reached drops. You're getting the same amount of eyeballs for cheaper, or you're possibly, if you want to keep your budget the same, you're going to get more eyeballs for cheaper. That means you can reach the same number of people for cheaper and increase your brand's voice share. Now, this is a huge opportunity for businesses to become category leaders when we get to the other side of this economic slowdown. And Kev, in my opinion, that's why I feel that businesses should absolutely continue their demand gen efforts over this period in some way, shape or form. Definitely, George. It's a big opportunity when your competition is thinking about cutting back and cutting costs. If you can afford it, if you can do it, definitely have that conversation to continue doing that activity because it is a big opportunity. And think about it this way, listeners. A lot of people will be cutting down their brand budgets. They'll try and work more on their organic channels where it's free to get their voice out there. That means organic competition actually probably will go up, which means your organic reach is going to reduce. But you have this cheaper option in the paid branding space to then go harder and hopefully you'll actually make more ground up overall compared to your competitors over this time period of economic downturn. But as George said, it is very important to try and keep as much of your demand generation efforts going at this time, have that conversation. We understand that there is going to be a balance that has to be struck. There's going to be compromises and hopefully you're striking the right balance between going after brand demand generation work as well as performance stuff that tends to come to the fore around these times. But George, listeners, let's talk about how to trim the fat. George, you already mentioned that we're going to talk about this. You're going to have to make that hard call between what's the balance of brand versus performance. How do we go about trimming the fat? Yeah, look, marketers... (laughs) It makes sense to come to the table when you have this discussion with the executive, with leadership. If you guys are hurting 
it's worth showing that marketing is able to make concessions in some areas and that you do have the ability to trim the fat. It gives more credibility to, I guess, the marketing plan that you'll present to them moving forward that says we can't just put all our money into demand capture alone because we have this huge opportunity on the demand creation, the demand generation side that's going to put our company in this incredible this incredible position once the market starts shifting again. But let's talk about how to trim the fat. Kev, this always starts with an investigation of what is really working right now. So if we're capturing demand, meaning that we're really looking at those channels that drive that last click to demos, that last click to pipeline, that last click to revenue, that's normally what you can see in your CRM and in your ad channels. You can see which ones are really driving pipeline and revenue. For creating demand, you should be capturing this qualitatively. We've done quite a few episodes on how to measure all of this. One of our favorite ways of showing what created the demand in the first place is using just a simple, how did you first hear about us form? Kev, we get it all the time for our program to be to be incubator. People reference our podcast, they tell us our LinkedIn and our CRM shows us that they came through direct or organic search. It's how we learn what actually created that demand initially. Let's get into some specific channels, Kev, and look at how we can trim the fat there. Uh, Google ads. Where do you think we should begin trying to trim the fat in Google Ads? Well, listeners, trimming the fat in Google Ads, it can be a fairly simple process. Obviously, your high intent keywords that you're doing well and that you earn, they're money makers and you should probably keep them in place. There can be an argument to say maybe you earn them so well that you should try and shift that to a more organic reach, but in an economic downturn, more competition on those keywords. Potentially, it's a balancing act to see how strong are you in that position? If you're really strong, maybe you can start to switch on them off. But for most cases, you probably want to keep those on because they're your main revenue generators when it comes to Google Ads. And- All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, It's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. You can use tracking, you can use UTMs, whatever it might be, into your CRM to see which ones are leading those quality opportunities and do that analysis. But yeah, that should be a fairly easy exercise to look at your high intent keywords, the ones that's really bringing in value for your business. And then look at review sites too. Maybe it's something like Trustpilot. Maybe it's a comparison site like G2 if you're in the B2B SaaS space. And think about, is it really bringing in the value that something like Google ads would be cut the stuff, leave the 20% that's working very well, cut the 80% that is really just picking up stragglers. And then maybe think about focusing some of that spend instead of trying to hit wide on the 3% that's capturing demand, use that for the branding budget instead, shift that over to the branding budget where you're nurturing the audience and funneling them towards those 20% of high intent keywords. 
So you can start to change your messaging in the branding space. Maybe some of you are targeting, start saying, search this high intent keyword to find us in Google or something like that. And Kev, just so our listeners can distinguish between high intent and perhaps more upper funnel, lower intent keywords, an example for us would be if someone is searching for a B2B marketing course, that would be very high intent for us because that's what the B2B incubator is. So we would absolutely bid on that in Google ads. But a lower intent keyword search might be something like how to conduct customer research, how to create your dream 100 terms that lead into things that the program covers, but aren't as high intent. That person might not want to pursue a course to learn these things. They're in an earlier stage of information gathering and fact finding. So that's the difference between high intent and low intent keywords. I think another quick segue here is that Google is bringing in a lot more AI tools here, generative in nature, it will help you generate more assets and things like that. But more importantly for this specific discussion, they're going to be bringing in more capabilities for you to generate an audience that is very high intent. It's going to give you more data, give you more predictive data around who your audience is. So make sure you lean into that as much as possible. That means doing the basics like connecting your data sources up to Google Ads as much as possible, making sure you're using GA4 and following all the guides to set that up as much as possible and connecting to your CRMs as much as possible, feeding in pretty much as much of your first-party data as you can so that the learning model, the AI systems behind Google Ads has as much accurate data as possible to work off so that it can bring you better results for less spend because that's basically what's doing in the background. Their algorithms are figuring out based on this data who is converting best. So the higher the quality of that data, the more that data they have to work with, the more likely they are to spend it on the relevant high intent keywords and actually reduce your spend in that way. Yeah, in our experience, that's helped a lot. For example, we had a client that we worked with that was in car finance. And of course, we could target people looking for car finance The beautiful thing about Google is that you can target people with high intent, but you can't really as well target people firmographically or demographically. You can target them demographically, but it's not often, doesn't often have the attributes that would make someone a really good candidate for car finance. So what we were able to do for this particular client is we were able to, from their CRM, export all the people who were really good opportunities, meaning not just in what they were searching, but what they looked like in terms of average household income, the types of businesses they worked for, that kind of thing, push that information back into Google Ads and then Google Ads could then go and optimize for those people specifically. So it really took that targeting to the next level. So trying to have those things in place, trying to leverage your own first-party data, as Kevin said, can really help you level up here and make things more efficient. What about LinkedIn, George? How will we start to really trim the fat there because obviously LinkedIn is a very relevant channel, but it can be quite an expensive one. Yeah, I know a lot of people are using this sort of Google Ads, LinkedIn, one-two punch combo where they target their cold traffic on Google Ads and then they remarket and retarget that traffic using LinkedIn. The issue is everyone seems to just retarget everyone who visits their website and there's a lot of wasted spend there. Not everyone who visits your website is within your ideal customer profile. They don't match the demographics, the firmographics, the psychographics of your ideal buyer. And in these tough economic times, we need to really target those ideal buyers and double down on them. So what I suggest people do 
is they first of all limit their remarketing. So it's no longer just everyone who revisited their website, but perhaps limit it and overlay it with people who fit your ideal customer profile. So an example for us there, Kev, would be we're not just going to retarget everyone who's visited the B2B Playbook or the B2B Incubator, but we're going to add another layer on top of that to say only retarget these people if they're in a marketing company that sorry, if they're in a company that is 11 to 200 people large in a marketing team of five or less, because that's who we really care about. If it's the big organizations that come and view our content, and I know we have a lot of those too, they're much less likely to buy our program. They're much less likely to be truly helped by us. So we don't need to spend our budget on them. There's some other things that you can do as well to use your remarketing spend more efficiently. Setting up your remarketing into 60-day, 90-day, and 180-day buckets in your remarketing pools can help you spend more efficiently. So in the first 60 days after someone visits your website, you can retarget them at a higher frequency, meaning you can show them your ads more often with more expensive ad formats because, hey, they've already browsed the important pages on your website. They're possibly in market. They're possibly closer to taking action. Outside of those 60 days, moving towards the 90 days and even 180 days, you can start to use less expensive ad formats to remain top of mind, like text ads on LinkedIn, for example. So once someone is has been to your website over 180 days ago, they haven't really engaged with you since then. If you want to stay top of mind, we don't need to use really expensive ad formats to get in front of them. Maybe something else has come up as a priority and then the issue that you solve for them could come back around at a later date, but we want to stay top of mind in the meantime. And using something like text ads is super cheap compared to other ad formats on LinkedIn. So break it down into buckets and allocate your spend accordingly. I think listeners, the takeaway here really is that you should focus in on all the things that we talked about before. Use the 80-20 principle to hone in on your ICPs, to hone in on your top performing customers and try and find more of them. Try and find different ways to target that audience more and more discreetly, accurately through these different platforms and trim the fat where it doesn't do that as well. And just find that balanced point that's right for you and for your business or spend. Maybe it's five high intent keywords. Maybe it's 10 high intent keywords. Maybe it's even a hundred high intent keywords, but you're cutting out a thousand, two thousand other keywords that you really don't have the budget to cover anymore. And then you're shifting some of that budget towards branding. That's great. For different businesses, there's going to be different requirements. So make sure you apply those really key evergreen foundational principles like 80-20 and your ICP to focus in, to hone in on the things that really matter for your business, particularly in times of economic downturn. You should always be focusing on these things, but I think a bit of pressure helps to sharpen the mind and sharpen your focus in on the things that really matter. Yeah, there's nothing breeds creativity like a bit of pressure, Kevin, when budgets get a little bit tighter. So you can apply those principles to both, I guess, the capturing and creating demand side of things. I would say more specifically when it comes to creating demand, make sure you look through any kind of attribution, your sales calls, whatever it is that you can get data on to see which of those are really making impactful touch points on those dream customers that are helping them become aware of you and pushing them through that customer journey to then become a paying customer. Collect those insights through qualitative data, self-reported attribution, as we've mentioned. Occasionally, it can get picked up in your CRM and really listen to those sales calls and speak to those sales teams. Customer interviews can really help you uncover that information too. Kev, 
I just want to add and double down again on what you said. Marketers really need to apply the 80-20 rule to almost every aspect of their marketing. They've got to focus on that 20% that's going to drive the 80%. So I would recommend, Kev, that marketers actually work their way back through our fundamental first three Bs of our five Bs framework to really decide what areas are the most important ones to maintain your investment in. And like any good marketing decision, Kev, it starts with be ready and it starts with redefining who the hell those best customers are. Yeah, I think it's important to keep revisiting this. I'm sure it's important to do that in economic downturns, but always do this over time. I think for us as humans, normally we go through a process, a framework, and we end at the end of the framework and we don't really circle back and come around. And I think with the Fire Beast framework, we hope that listeners get the idea that it's more circular than you think it is. You do need to come back and start at be ready again, because over time, as we've spoken about, your customers change, your customer base changes, they're growing with you as well. Maybe their needs, the way that they like to consume content changes as well. And so it's important to go back and figure out, are your best customers still your best customers? If they are, how have they changed? Have they still retain that purchasing power that they had before? And is it still the strongest use case for your product to go after that same group, even in a downturn? Maybe the downturn has changed those needs, that audience base, that customer base. So make sure you go back and revisit those things. It might need some reworking of your audience segmentation. You might need to segment some audiences more because you need to get a bit more tighter with the budget constraints that we're all going through. So for example, for us, we started more broadly as targeting anyone who's in a small team as a B2B marketer. Maybe we need to further segment that now to B2B marketers in small teams who work in cybersecurity because they still need our product. That's still a segment that is less impacted by the downturn. It's really growing, in fact, as fraud and scams become more prevalent. So Maybe that same exercise will help shed some light on your business and even new opportunities on how you can get a bit tighter with your budget, but at the same time, find new audiences. And yes, look, do your own research to see which of your customers, what industries are hard hit by this downturn and which are okay. But I just think honestly, Kevin, the easiest way to really find out how businesses are feeling, how it's going to affect whether or not they have budget for something like your product is just speak to someone that you know on the inside, speak to the champion, speak to the end user of your product. Customer interviews just are worth their weight in gold. They're absolutely incredible. They will share things with you that you won't know about what pains they're experiencing, what anxieties they have moving forward, and whether or not it makes sense for you to pursue customers that look like them over the next six to 12 months. And I think like we've always said, we're in the business of building relationships, we're in the people-to-people business, as Timbo told us in his interview with us. So it's important to have these touch points, even outside of the valuable learnings that you'll get out of these conversations and how quickly you'll get them. It's nice to just be in touch with people in your network who are really experts who will help you in this instance, but it's nice to just touch base and make sure they're going all right and to keep building that relationship because... As we said before, this is just another way that you can start to build those relationships and really strengthen those relationships that's going to be really foundational and important to the future growth of your business as we come out of the downturn in the coming years. 
And speaking of relationships, Kevin, that leads us to the second part of our framework that we think marketers should work through next, which is what we call be helpful. And that's how can you continue to create relationships with your dream customers despite having your budget slashed. And hopefully it's not fully slashed. Hopefully we still get to use some of that budget for creating demand, Kev. But how can we do things on the organic side without spending a ton of money? Kev, you and I have been exploring collaborations and it's something that businesses that we've been working with and others that we've seen out there have been doing as well. So collaborations with complementary businesses, complementary influencers are a fantastic way to get your organic efforts to go further. We're doing one at the moment, Kev. It's called the perfect campaign. We're seeing if we can build the perfect B2B marketing campaign. And to do that, we're bringing in four of the best people that we know. And they all happen, Kevin, to have very large followings who could also have marketers who are a great client or great customer for the B2B incubator. So there's absolutely no coincidence there that we've chosen these influencers, these B2B experts specifically for that. But what it's allowed us to do is it's allowed us to create this unique, rich content with faces that people know. It's allowed us to leverage their audience, to educate our audience, to cross-pollinate audiences. And it's allowed us to really push everything a lot further without having a huge help along from ad spend to get that message across. And it comes back to that point, listeners, of being helpful. You're being helpful on a few different levels. You're looking for the win-win-wins. Potential audiences are getting exposure to hopefully a very helpful course in, in the program that we put together in the B2B incubator. Our audience will hopefully be exposed to real experts in the field and also us learning in public, learning how to run this perfect campaign with the help of collaborators who are very generously helping us running that program and that campaign, but also exposing and cross-pollinating with and helping those experts that have kindly lent their time and expertise to this campaign as well in the collaboration. Hopefully we'll get them something of value back, whether that's growing their audience or just getting their information out there again through our campaign as well and promoting their services and their expertise as well at the same time. So going through all those things, getting that win-win in place and really truly being helpful, but getting creative with how we do that in a downturn by really collaborating and doing it as a true partnership, as true partners and building those relationships with complementary businesses as well as our customer base. And an awesome technique, Kev, if listeners, you want to figure out who it is that you should try and partner with is to form your Dream 100. Look at who your Dream 100 is. It's an awesome technique. I could explain it, Kev, but I could also just tell our listeners to go ahead and Google Dream 100 because it's a technique that we first learned from Russell Brunson. And now we have an article on it that I think ranks position three on Google. So go there, go and click on it and show Google that it's a good article place and we can keep going up in the rankings there. That's it, listeners. It'd be a great help to us. But importantly, Dream 100, one of the great principles that we talk about in the framework and I think really helpful in this time. Okay, Kev, on to the third part of our framework that we suggest that our listeners work through in these tough times. And that's after we've established the foundations with Be Ready Again, we've deeply understood those customers, we've narrowed our segment again, we've gone on to being helpful to continue building relationships with probably less resources by partnering up and going further together with complementary businesses. We're on to the third part, which is Be Seen. 
And that's about optimizing those demand capture channels, which we just spoke about above. That's about looking to really trim the fat, really double down on what's happening on your Google ads, your LinkedIn, your review sites, all that kind of high intent, lower funnel work that you're doing. And to optimize demand creation channels to those that have the highest impact, we've really got to try and gauge those quantitatively and qualitatively to see which channels are really driving the biggest impact and having the highest impact on those customer touch points before they're ready to buy from you. So again, it's about looking at if you're running really helpful LinkedIn content as ads, which of those are making the most impact, which of those are getting the most engagement from your dream customers. If you are doing webinars, a podcast, if you're doing a ton of SEO, trying to evaluate which of those channels right now is pushing your business the furthest and doubling down on that again. Hi, George. A couple more specific things that our listeners can do to address specific issues they might be hitting or maybe some more concrete tips that they can do in this economic downturn environment to help the B2B marketing. First is if you're dealing with lower cash flow, as maybe a lot of people are, or if you're dealing with lower budgets as well as lower cash flow, there is an opportunity to start honing in on your ABM activities or trying to scale those up because it's an opportunity to reposition yourself and focus in on your most profitable segment. Check out our ABM series on this. We do a bunch of episodes about how to do it on a shoestring budget. So that obviously is really applicable now if you haven't got one in place or you have one that's ticking along in the background and you hopefully want to ramp it up in this time. It's a quite cost-efficient way to do it, how we talk about it in the ABM series. And it's also a good opportunity for it now when you really need to hone in on your top 20% who's driving the revenue for your business, those customers that are really aligned and should become your real advocates over this time period. Yeah, look, ABM isn't for everyone. You've got to have an average customer value of, look, you've got to work out what works for your business, but normally 5, 10K is the, the bare minimum to be doing this because it is a much more targeted approach depending on how involved your sales and marketing team are in this, ABM is a much higher touch point, but it can be done on a shoestring budget. So if that sounds like you, it's something that definitely really works. And I suggest you go and check out that ABM series we did. Kev, what about getting executive buy-in on everything that we've spoken about above? Let's try and help the listeners out there. Yeah, it's very important, obviously, to get the exec team to buy into all this stuff. We've given you a lot of tips and things you could be doing, but... If the executive team decides, okay, we actually have no money for any of this, then it's very hard to do anything. And we joke about that, but it is a serious and often occurring issue right now. So how do you go about this? I think the first important thing is to go back again and to try and map out that buying journey and show the need that there is all these major important touch points and to show why demand generation is so important. There's a lot of different things you need to be doing and also show that opportunity, point out that theory that in keeping the budget in an economic downturn, there's a huge upside once you come out of the downturn because you've built that brand, you've built that brand voice, share, you've grown the brand in the eyes of people who, after a downturn, ready to buy from you. You become the go-to brand in that space. And it's just stretching that perspective out a little longer. Maybe let's look at things a bit more long-term and also look at those buying journeys, even in the short term, they still need those important demand gen touch points. Just because there's a downturn doesn't mean people 
don't need those touch points. If anything, they need more of them because they're considering all their decisions of spend a lot more closely because it is a downturn and their own budgets are slashed as well. So make sure that you're putting the data and you're putting the information behind those two points on the table before you go into the conversation. It's ready to back you up on that. And also show where you can trim the fat. Show that if you focus in on alignment and focus in on your best customers and the most profitable segments, this is what it means to trim the fat. This is the better places to cut that budget from, whether that's performance marketing or brand. We suggest there's a better balance between demand generation activity, creating and capturing demand in this time. And it's up to you to show here's the data behind that. Here's what really aligns customers and keywords that really align with what's ultimately going to be the best balance for your business going forward. And hopefully demand generation is still part of that balance. Kev, the only point I'll add to that is I think it's worth marketers doing the exercise to show based on the business goals that the leadership have agreed on, exploring how a leadership going to reach them with a lower marketing budget. So if they slash your marketing budget, what does that actually mean? So try and start with the targets and then work your way backwards because at the end of the day, you're going to have to cut budget. You're going to have to cut activities and then there's a knock-on effect for all of that. So trying to estimate how that looks puts it in terms that they can understand. And that's why I think Kev, those last two points are really important. Marketers, it's about a mindset and showing that we are not just the make it pretty department. We are not just the run the ads department. We are key contributors to revenue. Everything that we do has a direct impact on the business. And so coming to the table and saying, look, I know things are tough. I know that we can trim the fat here and here shows that you're aware of the impact that marketing has on the business. You're aware of the impact that it's an expense and that the business is struggling right then and there. So coming to the table with something like that, with a concession, could then help make that case for them trusting you and allocating those resources moving forward. Well said, George. And I think it's a very important point. Definitely make sure that everything is aligned back to business goals, to what the exec team ultimately care about. All right, George, key takeaways for this episode. Visibility on what parts of your marketing work and don't work are so important for executive buy-in, especially when budgets are tight. So spend the time, even when things are a bit stressful now, to work that out, what is working and what isn't. Also be brave and keep investing in demand generation to continue to build those relationships with your dream customers because they're gonna be ultimately very important as you come out of the downturn. And finally, trim the fat where you can on the demand capture side and try to leverage collaborations with complementary businesses to get more impact from your budget. Beautiful. Thank you, Kev. Very nicely done. Listeners, viewers, as always, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And Kevin and I are so grateful that each week, more and more marketers tune in or catch us on YouTube every Monday. I can say that, Kev, with absolute truth. We just keep growing and growing. We've had some really significant growth the last couple of months. So thank you so much, listeners, for telling people about the B2B playbook. It means the world to us. If we can ask one thing related to that, it would be to please pass the show on to someone who you think would get value from it. Feel free to leave your feedbacks in the comments section. It's an amazing help to us, our future listeners, and we'd really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. Catch you all next week. 
A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.